0: So thank you all for coming out. This is a a great turnout for a holiday weekend. Excited to see all of you. all Um, I am not as good as Carrie, so I'm going to have my notes up here. I don't know how he does it, but he does it well. He's got it all in his head, and he just goes and goes and goes. Me, I've got my notes, and you're just going to see me flipping through them. But a little bit about me. I grew up in Texas, uh, met my wife when I was in Kentucky at grad school uh, at Asbury Theological Seminary, and we moved out to California in the year 2000. It's hard to believe that that was 22 years ago we did that. Time just flies, doesn't it? And we've been coming to this church about six months, and we just love it. It's a really neat place for us to be, and we enjoy it. So last week... Pastor Zach was talking, and he did this neat sermon, and he was talking about your head and your heart, and you know, ended up me, uh, coming to the conclusion that you needed to have your head full of what God wants you to have it, and your heart full of what God wants you to have it, and did a great job with that. If you didn't get a chance, it's online. You can go back and listen to it, but hearing him go through that, it made me think, made me come up with a question. My question was, how do you measure your closeness with God? How do you do that kind of a a check to see where you are with that? Zach did a great job of explaining that head and heart part. I want to further unpack the heart part of that journey. You know, we all have a heart part of our journey with God. So I was thinking, how do we know if our heart's in the right place? What are we going to do to measure that? So we need to be doing a heart check. So then I was like, well, how do you do a heart check? What, you know, is there a quiz? Is there a little something you do? And then I kind of got distracted a little bit. And I thought, oh, like those quizzes that my kids love to do on the computer or on their phone. Like you answer all these questions and it tells you what Star Wars character you are or what Avenger you are or what Care Bear you are, or what color you are. They have a ton of those. And I thought, we need one of those for a heart check. You know? And then I thought, oh, yeah, my kids. They kind of like stretch the truth a little bit to try to get the character that they want to be. And, and then they have competitions, like my son Jacob says that his friend Caden always, every single time, one-ups him with whoever he is and whatever test they take. And he gets frustrated with that. I think he also gets frustrated with the fact that when I take those, I'm always Yoda. And he always wants to be Yoda. <laughs> so then I thought, oh, we need a heart check quiz. So I was like, great, let's do a little heart check quiz. Now, so I went and found some verses. And those verses will lead us to a question. And we're going to walk through about seven questions for our heart check quiz. Now, a few ground rules Don't answer out loud, okay? This is for you, and just as important, do not elbow the person next to you, because that's just like answering out loud for them, okay? We don't want that. This is just in your head. I want you to go through this with me. Okay, so the first question. The first verse is Matthew 9, 4. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? And that leaves us to the question, are you entertaining evil thoughts in your heart? So think through the last week or month and ask yourself that question. Question number two. The verse is Matthew 12, 34. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what is your heart full of? What comes out of your mouth? Okay. The next question. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Matthew 18.35. Is there someone you're choosing not to forgive? Question number four. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. How much of your relationship with God is just lip service? How much of your relationship with God is just lip service? The next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Makes us ask the question, is your heart pure? Is your heart pure? Next. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is another hard question. How would you rate yourself? In your spending of your time? In your spending of your money? In your spending of your energy? What treasure do you use those to seek after? The last one, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So then we have to ask, how would you rate yourself on loving God with all your heart? So that's a nice little quiz, a hard little quiz sometimes. I'm really glad no one got up and left. That's pretty important, okay? But we're going to kind of look at that, and we're going to unpack that. Because when you take a test like that, you really need to remember this important lesson. It's not about if you mess up, but what you do when you mess up. So let me say that again. It's not about if you mess up. It's about what you do when you mess up, right? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I love it because it puts us all in the same boat. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Y'all are sinners. We're all sinners. So we can come from the same place and say, it's not if I mess up. It's what I do when I mess up. So Jeremiah 3.15 says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding." God also says to Israel, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So we're not in this alone. We mess up, but we're not just out there to figure out our own heart journey. God's going to put people that will help us with it, and he himself will help us with it. And also, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us. John 14, 26, and 27 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. It's pretty comforting when part of of what God gives us To be able to have a heart the way he wants it to be is like God inside of us. The Holy Spirit is in us, and the Holy Spirit leads us, and the Holy Spirit convicts us and helps us know what we need to do to get our heart where God wants it to be. So now we have did the quiz, and as we finish up the quiz, you're like, wait, you didn't tell me what character I'm going to be, right? Well, I want to unpack that a little bit. We're going to get to that place. But we have to kind of, I've got a couple characters that I'm going to introduce you to. Some of you know them already. We're going to talk a lot about them. And then at the end, we're going to figure out what character you are because of your heart test. So, we're going to start off. Israel cries out for a king. Like, they've had prophets. They've had the miraculous God leading them through the wilderness. They've had all this kind of stuff, but they're at a place where they cry out for a king. And they did it because the Ammonites were against Israel, and they threatened to take them over. So Israel is getting scared. And they're like, oh, we need a king. And they say, you know, not only do we need a king, we want a king that we can see. We want a king that is like everyone else, that has a king. And we want a king here. We want to be like everybody else. So, God kind of warned them. God said to them, hey, I am a better king than any king you're going to have on earth. But they didn't listen. They should have listened, but they didn't listen. They're like, no, no. Our enemy's over there. We want a king here. We want a king that we can see. We want a king that's going to take care of us. And so, they kept petitioning God for that. And God said, well, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And he chose them a king. He chose Saul. Now, when you look at Saul, they described him as the most handsome man, a head taller than everyone else. He's a big guy, good looking, and he's going to be their new king. Saul was anointed king over Israel. So then Samuel kind of sees Saul getting into this king thing, Saul goes and wins some battles and starts looking pretty good so Samuel comes to give his farewell to the people and when he starts to give his farewell to the people they start to realize oh wait wait what's this thing what did we just do and Samuel in his farewell says to them you know God was with us all these times we went into battle he took care of us through battle and so then the people are like oh what do we do? What do we do? And in this farewell, First Samuel twelve twenty through 25 says, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. So that's a pretty rough way for Saul to get going as king, right? All the people are like, hey, wait, I think we messed up. But he's king. It's done. And so there's this conflict. It's not an easy start. So Saul does the kingly thing. He goes out into battles. He wins battles. He starts doing the things that he's supposed to do. And he's pretty successful and things are going really well until Saul went and bothered the Philistines. The Bible says the Philistines announced Israel has become obnoxious, right? And so then they start building this huge army to go take care of obnoxious Israel. And so the people see this and the people, they're getting kind of scared And they don't know that Saul's gonna be able to take care of this. They don't know that God's gonna be with them anymore. And the people start going and hiding in caves. And even the army, the Bible says, is quaking with fear. Where I grew up, we called that shaking in your boots, right? So they're all shaking in their boots. The Philistines are big, and it gets ugly. And Saul was supposed to wait for seven days. And Samuel was gonna come and they were gonna do the offerings to God, and then they were to go into battle. So Saul waits the seven days, gets kind of antsy, is like, hey, we gotta get this going. Look, the Philistines are building up. What are we gonna do? We gotta get this going. And Samuel isn't there yet. And Saul's like, Well, I'm just gonna offer him myself. Let's just go with this. Does the offerings. Offers the burnt offerings, and about the time he's done, Samuel walks up. You can imagine what Saul's thinking, right? Like, oh, hey, I just, oh, wait, there he is. I was supposed to wait seven days. There he is. What am I going to do, right? So Saul had a bunch of excuses. Samuel comes up, and Saul's like, man, the men were leaving. They're afraid. You weren't on time. The Philistines will attack, and I won't have sought the Lord's favor And then we're going to lose. And I just, I was compelled to do it. Says all that to Samuel. And Samuel says this. You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord, the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So Samuel stepped outside of what he was supposed to do and God was like, that's enough. I'm going to go find someone after my own heart. And then the Lord sent out Samuel to give Saul another command through Samuel God says attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them put them all to death and all of their livestock too pretty bold thing, it's like there's no wishy-washiness, there are lots of alls in there, right so he tells Saul to go do that and Saul disobeys the Lord again Saul kept the king, Agad, and kept a lot of the livestock and brought him back. And I'm like, oh, poor Samuel. He was the middleman between God and disobedient Saul. But I mean, I guess that's the life of a prophet. But, oh, poor guy, right? So, the Lord told Samuel, I regret that I made Saul So it's pretty clear where God is with this. God is like, you did not follow me. You did not follow me again, and I regret that I made you king. So Samuel went to go confront Saul. And he's on the way, and he asks, hey, where's Saul? And some of the guys say, oh, he's over there building a monument. He's building a monument to himself. Now, when you look over the history of Israel, they built lots of monuments. Sometimes they were just stacks of rocks, but they were to remember what God had done for the people. And they had all of these that they looked back on, and you could go back and you see them, and it was to remind you what God had done for the people. And Saul makes his to remind everybody what Saul had done for the people. Seems like he has a little bit of a heart issue, doesn't it? So when Samuel finally got to him, they had this little thing where Saul really sounds like a teenager. I know I have teenagers, and I'm like, oh, this sounds like a teenager thing. But it's Saul, and he's king. So when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what's this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answers, Well, uh, the soldiers brought them, and they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle so that we can sacrifice them to God. But we totally destroyed the rest. And Samuel says, enough. Enough. Samuel confronts Saul. And Saul's making these excuses, right? Mr. Excuse. Saul says, I completely destroyed them. I brought them back, and I brought back their king. Those don't go together, right? Completely destroyed them. Oh, but I brought back their king. Yeah. Not what he was supposed to do, right? He decided that he knew better than God. And that's a hard issue, isn't it? It's a hard issue to think that you know better than God. Samuel's response to him was, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So then Saul then has three responses, right? There are three responses that Saul has after that. This kind of double rebuke. The first one is, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. But then he goes on and says, I have violated the Lord's command." And your instructions. I was afraid of the men. So I gave in to them. Now I beg you. Come. Forgive me. Come with me so that I can worship God again. So you notice in his response. I've sinned. But then there's this excuse of why. I gave in to the pressure of the men. The, it's the men's fault. And then he's like. Forgive me and, and let's go worship God. The second one is, Samuel's not, Samuel's not taking that as a good excuse. Samuel turns to leave. Saul's second response is, he grabs his cloak and it tears. So not only does he like, just forgive me, he's like trying to keep him from going away and he tears his cloak. And the third one, it gets even worse. Saul says, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. It's like, yeah, I messed up, but let's do one last hurrah where you honor me in front of everybody, right? Is there something missing in all three of those responses? Yeah, it's missing because Saul has a heart issue. Saul wanted forgiveness and honor. But was not willing to change his heart and was not willing to say, I messed up. I was wrong. I need to change. Forgive me. So at this point, the, law, the Lord has rejected Saul as king. His reign as king, though, is not over. It's this really awkward long time like 15 years long time where god's not with him god's not leading him and he gets afflicted by an evil spirit and it torments him and so at this place we're going to switch over and meet our other character the different person that you might come out of as this test David is a shepherd and he watches over the sheep for his family, right? And he's the youngest. So remember back in that other story where God is saying, Hey, I've anointed someone else. So, back in the middle of that other story, God sends Samuel and he says, Go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse. And you will find the new king, and you're going to anoint him. So what happens is, Samuel goes there. And he goes to Jesse, and he says, bring your sons. I need to consecrate them so that we can come together, and we're going to see each of them. And Samuel knows that he is about to anoint the new king. So they all line up. Samuel's looking, he's like, oh man, that one, he's big, he's strong, he's good looking. I, I bet it's him. And God's like, no, no, no. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So then we look at David. David. He was the smallest and the youngest. They didn't even bother to call him in from the fields for all of this hoopla, right? They left him out shepherding, brought in all the other brothers, cleaned him up, got him ready for the party, and David was out with the sheep. The, Samuel went through all the boys like, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden he's like, you have any others? And they're all like, well, uh, David's out in the fields, wasn't the sheep. Didn't even get invited. Then they go and get him. And it is David. Because God looks at the heart. He picked David. So David was anointed king, but, you know, it was a long time until he got to be king. Fifteen years until he was king of Judah. And, like, at that time, Judah and Israel were kind of split. And it was another seven years before he got to be king of all of Israel. Right? Right? That's a long time. A long time to be anointed and prepping and ready. And, well, a lot of other things happened during that time. Some of the things that happened, you know, back to that Philistine issue with Saul, right? The Philistines were a problem. They were all lined up. David went out because his brother His brothers were in those armies to battle the Philistines, and Goliath was taunting all of the armies, and David, most of you know that story, David killed Goliath with a slingshot. And then that kind of introduced Saul and Israel to David, and he joined in the armies from that point on and did a lot of conquests, did a lot of things in the army and kind of Everybody kind of got to know him. That was a big deal. And then it got so bad that the people were singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. Right? So Saul is king and falling out of favor with God. And all of the people are like championing David. And Saul gets jealous. Even before he gets jealous, Saul tries to kill David twice. And then this jealousy wells up and he starts chasing him. And there's this whole big long section where Saul chases David and David goes and hides in the caves and, and flees from Saul. Now, David has been anointed king. But God has not said, take it over. And David is like... Oh, I'm not going to do this till God says for me to do this. So he knows that Saul is still king, and he knows that it's not his time yet. And even though Saul is chasing him and trying to kill him, David does not kill Saul. David even has a few really good opportunities where he could have killed Saul, and he chooses not to. And when he looks at that, he says, I could not kill him because... The Lord has not ordained it that way. That's huge. Because he's got like his band of guys with him. Running around from Saul. And they're like, man, man, Saul, he's coming into the cave. Kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. And David is like, no, God has not said that I need to kill him. That's David's heart journey. So... We're going to skip over a bunch of David's life. There's a ton there. And I mean, I've already covered like a whole 30 chapters. And I'm only going to cover a couple more instead of giving you another 30, right? So we're going to skip over to a nice summer night where King David is strolling on his rooftop of the palace. And then it happens. He sees a woman bathing on a nearby rooftop. This is where you would expect, I mean, like, man after God's own heart, heart journey, you would expect him to be like, oh, he turned, went to the other side, didn't walk on that side anymore. He was a good guy, right? But no, he didn't. He didn't turn. He didn't look the other way. Instead, he sent people to go find out about her. He sent people to go find out about her. Now, people were finding out about her. Her name was Bathsheba. Now, my son walked in while I was doing this part of my sermon. And he was looking at my stuff, and he's like, Bathsheba? I was like, yeah. He's like, He saw her bathing and her name is Bathsheba. He's like, There's no way, no way. He's like, You got to say that a different way. And we even Googled it and it was like Bathsheba. And he was like, No, no way. So he really got it. It's kind of funny that it's Bathsheba, right? But it really is. Her name is Bathsheba. And so he sends out, he finds that out. And not only does he find that out, he says, "Ah, Bring her, bring her to the palace. Brings her to the palace. And he sleeps with her. And if that's not bad enough, then, a little bit later, she sends word to him and says, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. Well, you can imagine what the king kind of thinks in his head with that, right? He's like, ooh, wait, she's pregnant? Oh, I don't want people to know that. What do I do? So he comes up with this elaborate plot in his head, right? He says, oh, I get, get her husband her husband's out at war i'm gonna bring her husband back they'll have sex and we'll be good right we'll fix all of that so he brings him back brings him before him but there's this thing he's a really honorable man and he knows that all the troops that he leads are still out on the field so he sleeps outside of the palace gate on the ground like all of his troops and when david's like hey what are you doing he's like My troops do not get to come home. They do not sleep in their bed. And they do not get to see their wives. I'm going to stay right here. Really kind of honorable thing to do. But boy, does that mess up David's first plan, right? And David thinks, well, maybe my plan's not too far off. Let me get him good and drunk. And then maybe he'll wander off home and sleep with his wife. But that also does not work. And so by then, David is like getting anxious David is getting worried, nervous. He's like, oh, goodness, what do I do? So then his brain goes wild, and he comes up with this crazy plan. And so he sends him back to the front line, and he tells the leaders of the army above him, take him to this fiercest area of fighting. And then he says, and get him out into battle and pull all the rest of the troops back. So that we know he will die. So yeah, you heard that right. David set it up where Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, would die. That plan worked. They pulled back and Uriah died. And Bathsheba grieved. She lost her husband. so then some time passes and Samuel's not the prophet anymore, Nathan is and Nathan comes to David just like Samuel went to Saul but Nathan tells him a story Nathan tells him a story of a rich man who has a lot of sheep and a lot of cattle but who takes this poor man's one lamb one and only lamb for himself and fixes it for the dinner. And then Nathan's like, what do you think of that? And David, he becomes mad. He's furious. He's incensed. He's like, that is horrible. That is awful. He must be punished. So then Nathan says, you're that man. You're that man. And David is like, oh, oh, I'm that man. Nathan says, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? David's response, I have sinned against the Lord, period. If you remember Saul, I've sinned against the Lord But it was the men's fault. They were pressuring me and all these other things. And David, no, David says, I have sinned against the Lord, period. No excuses, only responsibility. No begging for restoration. No begging for glory. Just, I have sinned against the Lord. Acts 32 says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Yeah. He's got the heart. He messed up. But he's got the heart. Because when he messed up, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, When we turn to the Psalms, we get a glimpse into David's heart in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, it talks about where it comes from, and it it says, From the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is David's psalm Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Let me say that again. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Let me say that last part again. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. When you get that glimpse into David's heart, it's such a different picture It's such a different picture from that picture of Saul's heart, right? Saul's heart, give me honor one more time. David's heart, I need you. I was wrong. Help me to have a contrite heart. Big difference, right? Instead of pleading, David cries out to God, not pleading for glory, but pleading for God's mercy. Pleading for God to change him the way he needs to change. Saul did not want to change. He's like, I know there's this reason, just forgive me. David's like, change me. Change me. So we go back to this. It's not about if you mess up. They both messed up. So don't think that when I'm saying, well, you got a good one and a bad one in their heart, don't think I'm saying you can do what David did. Don't do what David did. (laughs) But it's not about if you mess up. It's about what you do when you mess up. That's the difference. That's the heart difference. You see, David's desire for a contrite heart is why God says he is a man after my own heart. Saul's plea to be honored. Yeah, no. That's not why. That's why he doesn't have a heart after God's own heart. So that leads us to one final question. Where do you seek God's approval? Right? Where do you look for approval? Do you look for God's approval? Or do you look for the approval of man? Right? Galatians 1.10 says... Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's Paul talking about this same dilemma. This: Am I seeking God's approval? Am I seeking the approval of people? So this idea kind of fits into our heart check today too, right? We need this to be a heart check. You see, our desire to please others can really get in the way. It can get in the way of our relationship with God. It can get in the way of...